Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chan. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm Max Tarrant. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we are discussing Blade Runner, which came out originally in 1982 with multiple edits and changes throughout the last 35 years. And Blade Runner 2049, which came out this year and is a sequel to the original Blade Runner. So let's hear about Blade Runner from 1982. Max, you want to give us a bit of a rundown? Sure. So obviously this film was directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, This is really in his heyday. Um, It's... uh, Kind of an unusual film. Uh, it was not received hugely well at the box office immediately, but became a cult hit over time, owing to its uh, complex themes and powerful imagination of um, a dark future. It stars Harrison Ford, Rutger Hauer as the um, antagonist, and Sean Young apparently as Rachel, who is a replicant. So this film's about uh, replicants which are basically kind of cyborgs. And it's worth noting, like I didn't mention earlier, there's been a number of different edits and chops and changes. So the, the story of Blade Runner coming to the screen is, is a good story, and I would suggest anyone who's interested to watch Dangerous Days, which is the three-hour documentary that was put together that covers uh, through ten chapters the, the kind of journey of Blade Runner, um, which kind of details in all, all of all of the struggles that went into making this film happen. One of them being that uh, the producers stepped in very very um, sternly and took over the editing powers of much of the original film. Um, and so the theatrical film, though Ridley Scott was involved, uh, was sort of based on focus groups and things like that. Um, so that was that was the theatrical cut. The ending being quite different. Um, there was a, a voiceover that uh, is. is debatable whether it works or not um there are camps and you know there are people in both camps for that um and then in the i think late 80s early 90s a work print edition kind of leaked out which sort of started started to be whispers that this was the this was the 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 version that that ridley scott really wanted to make which resulted in what was called the director's cut which was released in 1992 ridley scott didn't have actually anything to do with that release of the film it was sort of the producers that put that out there um, and then in 2000 and I want to say seven, 2007, uh, Ridley Scott got the chance to go back and properly make his version of the film. And that's the final cut. And there are little other versions in between, but those are the most significant ones. So yeah, Blade Runner 2049. William, do you want to give us an overview of this, this new iteration of Blade Runner? Alrighty. Uh, so Blade Runner 2049 is directed by Denis Villeneuve um, of Arrival and Prisoners and, and other great movies. And it stars Ryan Gosling as a replicant cop who is also a Blade Runner. Um, It's set, uh, what, 30 years after the original? Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, it is a direct sequel. So not a reboot, not a reimagining. A lot of plot points from the original tie in strongly, as well as thematic uh, elements and other bits and pieces, including casting. Excellent. And we had a discussion uh, before we recorded this, as, as you might expect we would, uh, about spoilers. So we typically like to keep our new film uh, spoiler-free, the discussion around our new film spoiler-free. But we kind of felt that, look, if you're going to be listening to this, you've probably watched both the films. And if you haven't, this is your warning now. We're going to be getting into spoilers for both movies, uh, I think, to effectively discuss the thematic, abstract 
uh, cerebral elements of each of these films, you were going to have to step on some of those spoilers. So you have been warned. Spoilers will start now. Mm-hmm. All right, who would like to start us off and, and with what film? Can I just ask, firstly, Ridley Scott, what number film was it? Was Blade Runner for him? His third film. So straight after Alien and Alien. Straight after Alien. Oh, he did The Duelists. Uh-huh. He did Alien and then Blade Runner. Aliens wouldn't come, come along for another four years, which uh-huh. was James Cameron. Anyway. Oh, and as you better. probably know, Tony and Ridley grew up in England um, working in commercials, TV commercials, um, before, before hitting film. And I suppose it's worth noting that one of the most startling things about original Blade Runner is its aesthetic, isn't it? Mm. Um, and, and luckily, I think, I think we'll agree that the 2049 manages to, um, I was going to say replicate, and A, that's not fair, and it's not a very good pun either, but at least sort of pay quite significant homage to the production design of the original. But point being that the 1982 version is really known, isn't it, for its, its look and feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though it's only his third film, um, it's got to be that commercials background, I think, isn't it, coming, coming to play? Absolutely. Mm. And, and he, he's such a master at packing that screen that the mise-en-scene with just as much stuff that works mm. as possible. And he, just the beauty of some of those shots, <clears throat> like I think about Terrell's office, one of the first scenes, and yep. just the golden amber light and this sort of shimmering water on the walls, which mm. I don't really know where that comes from, but it works. And just shadows and beams of light. And, mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This film overall is really bold right it's at the time it must have been extremely bold because watching it now it's still very bold and everything's been taking it off for the last um however long it's been so it's amazing but the lighting is intense like right from the kind of first few shots it's just like sheets of light coming through these windows um in in the kind of main office as a as a replicant's being studied to to find out whether he's actually a replicant and then just everything in the film is bold. The, the, the music is outstanding. I love the score. Mm. It just transports you to a place. And it's not, for me, it's not necessarily um, a future considered from our point now. Mm-mm. But it's somewhere else. It's somewhere creepy and dark and, and mysterious. An, an 80s future. Mm, absolutely. And quite retro as well. Like you've got all the synthesizers through there, which is that kind of that imagined future. But it's but also got... a very 1980s thing, right? Because synthesizers absolutely, were at, the, yeah. at mm. the core of soundtrack in the 80s. Yes. But, but yeah, sorry. You've got piano and you've got, um, <clears throat> yeah, there's just a, there's quite a lot of different things going on there. You've got different um, cultural kind of sounds coming through, I guess, to kind of link in with the different mixing of cultures mm. that is happening in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a, a, a future sound, but it's also got this. It's very romantic. It's a very romantic. Yeah, it's, very, it's quite melodramatic. The whole film, isn't mm. it? Yeah, it, it's also quite optimistic for what is not a very optimistic movie. It feels like um, everything's a major key. Everything feels like it's it's the future, mm. um, and yet the movie presents a future that is anything but. Mm. And it's interesting what Max um, touched on just before that um, pretty much every dystopian film ever since 1982 has, in some way, um, evoked. Uh, Blade Runner, 1982 mm-hmm. Blade Runner, obviously, and I can't, I can't count the number of times in a film review that I will have said it is very Blade Runner esque in its, uh, and and it'll be everything. It's the the swooping cinematography, it's the shots over to the city at night time where we get our establishing shot of this is the town that we're in, mm-hmm. city that we're in, everything. 
derives, it feels like it derives from Blade Runner. And when I rewatched 1982 Blade Runner the other day, there was, an, uh, there was this feeling of, I'm not really sure whether I'm, this is familiar to me because it's familiar for having seen it before, or actually it's become familiar because every other film I've seen since has in some way either gone with a bit of Evangelist-sounding yeah. soundtrack mm-hmm. or, or the, the lighting or just that dystopian feel. Particularly also, you know, the, the notions of future. I mean, in a mm-hmm. way, bless yeah. 1982, that they thought that 2019 would look like this. Now we are two years off, a year and a half off of 2019. We can chuckle and say, mm. you know, we've still got a wee way to go. I don't know, though. I mean, not in terms of flying cars and that kind of thing. But, you know, you look at some of the overpopulation in, in, in large cities in the world, and, and they... They are Blade Runner. Like oh, okay. I, I think that there is, um, and sort of the slum-like quality yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, and, the, and the kind of mixing of cultures and, and, and everything that comes with that. I and think. the rain. Yeah. The incessant rain. I mean, mm, honestly, yeah. it's a bit like watching Titanic, which I did three times in the cinema when it came out, and just needing to go to the loo the whole time. <laughs> um, but the incessant rain in Blade Runner, both Blade Runners, you know, just you know why does did, my you know why Blade Runner is all filmed at night and it's. And it's raining and smoky. Do you know why? No. Because they, they were filming on the back lot. And Ridley Scott knew that if they filmed it any other way, it would just show up how how fake the, oh, the back right. lot was. And so what they did is they stuck all the ducts and all of the inside parts of the building on the outside. And which they influenced architecture. So wow. they actually influenced, you know, what would happen in the next 20 years. But yeah, he just, you know, he just thought, I need smoke. Smoke and darkness and yeah. my weapons, and I will use them to make this film look amazing. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. I, I always thought it was uh, just a commentary on pollution and climate change. Well, there's that as well. Um, yeah. I, I mean, but, but, back, but back in 1982, yeah. even uh, even then, yeah. I mean, definitely with the smog and the factions. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, that's something that that's made very, very explicit in 2049, mm. um, where it's not rain anymore; it's snow and it's smog. and smog. You're mm. quite right. Um, yeah, that. Oh, that that's awesome, Jeremy. I mean. Well, yeah. well, let's talk about 2049, because cause one of the biggest things that hit me from watching this film, I mean, I've seen Blade Runner so many times that I can't remember, but um, I went and saw this three times at the cinema, the new one, um, and yeah, the biggest thing that hit me was, if Blade Runner was this cramped, overcrowded, um, stuffy, claustrophobic kind of atmosphere, environment, then the, the new film is very, very sparse and... Mm. Um, very isolating and, and there are times where he goes into the city and it's very cramped but on a whole it's it's ryan gosling standing in empty rooms even the mm-hmm. opening scene with um with the batista character i forget, forget i don't know his character's name is his house is very different to the homes that were in the yeah. original yeah. Blade Runner. Like yeah. the, the original one, everything was stuffed with things. Mm. Well, and, and it's in the middle of nowhere, effectively, right? Mm. So mm-hmm. we're looking at a lot more desert mm. and a, as you yeah. say, a lot more nothingness did you know that film that that scene as well was the original opening of one of the drafts of the original film (laughs) the decad was going to arrive just like that and rip the jaw out of pumpkin and you were going to see the the serial number on the jaw the the writer who's the original writer of the story as well yeah um, came and kind of brought that that scene with the pot boiling all of that was always in that that oh that's wonderful it's a nice Mm. kind of geeky little tie-in for (laughs) for the the people that are kind of interested in those things but also for the people who care like I think I think it was terrific that I mean I don't know who who, I I, I doubt very much it's Villeneuve but whoever um, casts the writers if you will I think it's terrific Mm -hmm. that they went with Mm. um, I now forget his name Fincher Hampton or something Mm -hmm. Um, 
him as the old timer from the original, plus the new chap who had done Green Lantern and um, if not a Thor, then something or other. Logan. A Logan, that's mm, right. Mm-hmm. So sort of a, a you know young blood who's able to get. Um, a relationship drama like Logan, because that's effectively what Logan was, wasn't it? A father-son mm-hmm. drama. So I like the I like the potential tie in there, and keep it pacey. Um, so yeah, I think that was terrific. Rather than just going, okay, can we get some people who want to write the new Blade Runner movie? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I feel like it kind of speaks to what this film is, and and it feels a little bit like a um, a current contemporary kind of experiment um a little bit in blockbusters and doing a really authentic blockbuster um i guess they they believed that there was enough of a current and and backswell of kind of um affect for the old film that this could actually really get Mm. off the ground and i found it really interesting the reception that it with all this build up and all this buzz from kind of critics and people that are fans that still didn't really um well it looks like it's not doing very well at the box office no definitely not and now they're putting out these terrible um, little adverts on, um, little, I think, like, I guess it's like a trailer on Facebook. And it's just kind of turned it from like, you know, they had beautiful trailers before. Now they've cut it down to like a minute and it's just like goes through the kind of basic plot points. And it's like, replicants, danger. And like kind of, right. it's now they're like, okay, let's drum up support quickly. Right. So, but, but my po- anyway, the point was kind of an experiment in doing a blockbuster that is a bit more intelligent. Um, it can handle being really long um, because it's got enough it's got enough substance that we might actually get people along and and build a kind of a bit more of a movement for this film rather than just being a crappy kind of blockbuster which I feel like you know we haven't had an interesting blockbuster for a while have we really since Mad Max probably Mm. oh that was such a good film and yeah Avengers this definitely isn't right in its Mm. in its feel or it its treatment or anything Mm -hmm. so just because i haven't followed all this so you're telling me that the critics generally loved blade runner Mm -hmm. the fans generally loved blade runner and they've all everyone's seen it now and now the box office has just gone yeah it was just a disappointing opening um and not much legs which is really really unfortunate so is this so that means that's because people aren't going so Mm -hmm. why why are the civilian population if you will the non-critics the non-fans if everybody's saying hey buzz buzz this is great why are they not going? I could understand if they were going and then going, oh, what? That was mm. really but slow. But I think that is happening. I think that is happening. A little happening. bit, eh? I think that people go going, you know, they, there is an element of marketing this film, which is what happened with the original as well, marketing it as a big action film. And mm-hmm. it's coming out at the same time as these new Star Wars films and, mm. and the big the big Marvel films, which is effectively what was happening back in the 80s, which is you had Indiana Jones. The just Star Wars films. Star <laughs> right? Wars. Yeah. Um, uh, E.T. had just come yeah. out. And people were expecting an action film. A, yeah. a, 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 one of those blockbusters mm. that you're talking about that kind of is a bit more by the numbers. Um, so I, I would think that, you know, I've heard people who said, oh, it's so slow and boring. I'm mm. like, well, well, what are you, you're going and expecting something that it's not. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I, I think if someone described Blade Runner as like a, the, a big budget sci-fi art film. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it is. And yeah. I think the yeah. new film, they've done a lovely job of melding. I think the original is more of an art film than, than yeah. the new mm-hmm. one. But they've done a really good job in this new one of kind of having their cake and eating it too. But maybe it just doesn't work. I mean, making sure tonally it feels one of a piece with the original yes. as well. With the, I mean, the the set design, the the art design in, as a whole is amazing. In yeah, that one. Mm. so many bold choices, like yeah. just really interesting 
like even though it's, we can talk about the sexual politics soon because I think that's an interesting discussion. Mm -hmm. But like that that scene in Las Vegas with the big massive statues <laughs> of the woman, yeah, and yeah. And mm. holy moly, with the bees. I mean, just as I mean, the, 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 didn't it? The bees didn't need to be there in terms no. of the plot, but man, yeah. it's a lovely image. Just. Really you mentioned the lighting from the original film, um, mm. and luckily, before I re-saw the original, I saw this fantastic clip. It's not very long. It's Ridley Scott talking in his incredibly dry way. Sorry, Ridley. Um, the camera there. About oh, his favourite <laughs> scene. Um, and his favourite scene, I if I remember rightly, his favourite scene is the introduction of Rachel, uh, Rachel meeting Deckard, right? Mm -hmm. And he talked about, and then the, the, the clip gets really interesting when he talks about how he... Um, used in-camera um, effects to create that sort of um, uh, trickly water reflection mm. on the walls and all mm -hmm. that sort of thing, simply by smashing a mirror up and popping it in uh, trays of water around the place so that the light would refract, mm. reflect, I don't Both. know. Not the scientist <laughs> at the table. Right, which is beautiful. So the minute that they did that in 2049, shamelessly, yeah. it, there was a, rather than going, ooh, you're such a copycat, it was a lovely feeling of, oh, there's a real consistency here, mm -hmm. even 30 years on. Mm. Um, and similarly with the lighting, I, in the opening scene of 2049, I was so struck by the fact that effectively, Agent K is walking into a, a completely dark room and nobody puts any lights on. Um, and so when his quarry walks in and is sort of standing in the gloom, you can still see exactly what you need to be able to see. And it's the same with the first film. Mm, mm. There isn't really very much lighting mm -hmm. um, in the Ty Tyrell Corporation scenes in particular. And yet there's some miracle of you haven't even put a light on and I'm still able to see the bits that are necessary. Mm, yeah. Although I chuckled like anything in 2049 when the evil replicant woman um, comes into Robin Wright's office and flicks a light on and says it's far too dark in here or yeah. something like that and I laughed because I you know that's how I would be oh, it's, I, it's, I want to talk about her because she for me like the, the acting in this film the new film I thought was phenomenal like there's some really lovely moments um, like for instance when Ryan Gosling is mourning the loss of joy and it's just a moment with him and the, 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 the prostitute woman and they don't say anything and it's just you know that he's mourning because they've had this kind of connection you know that's not actually what I want to talk about. I want to talk about love, the the villain of the piece. Yes, um, Sylvia she, Hooks. She's fantastic. Really yeah. good. She just did so much with her lines that are not. Mm. She whatever she whatever she says, she usually isn't actually meaning what she's saying. Mm. Just the subtleties with which she was creating that character. Mm. Just yeah. blew me away. And there's been some criticism from from feminist quarters of all the, the the role modeling or the sexual politics isn't that great in 2049 but i think that she is a real case she and robin wright for obvious reasons are very very strong characters mm. not sexualized very much an evocation of rachel with the with the hair and the mm. lipstick and whatnot mm. but mm -hmm. sort of a an evil rachel if you will um and the, i thought she was terrific mm. steely really and, steely and also you it's not it wasn't clear to me until really quite far into the piece that she was the villain yeah yeah and, and initially i thought she mm. was you know they set her up kind of as the love interest because she's introduced in the same way that rachel was introduced like you said she's she looks similar um there's sort of this question of a mm. child floating around i thought it was her mm. um and they really design this film you don't know who is who yeah until you need to and, and until it matters in the story it's pretty masterful i really like that i love that unfolding mm. of 
revelation for the characters. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to very briefly touch upon my favorite moment was a glimmer when Agent K returns to the LAPD and he's walking down the corridor and there are all these uh, human police officers walking past him. And Ryan Gosling flinches ever so slightly just before one of the cops says, um, what's the skin job? That's right. Skin job or something. And there was such a lovely look on Ryan Gosling's face, quite aside from the fact that it's really hard for Ryan not to look lovely (laughs) generally. But no, Um, but there was a lovely look of um, preemptive sort of, oh, I don't... Like a child reacting to a bully or something. That's right. Absolutely. Like, I know what he's going to say. I've experienced this before. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So therefore, he knows that he's a replicant, you know, Mm -hmm. you infer from all these things. And then it gets terribly interesting, well, I thought, Mm. for a while. And I loved the sort of Pinocchio-esque aspect of Mm. this created boy who just wants a father and wants to be a real boy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a flip on the original original film. It's like, is this person, you know, I guess there's a big debate about whether or not uh, Deckard is a replicant. Mm. But there is definitely, there is an argument to be made there that he's a human realising he's a replicant. Well, in this film, it's like setting it up that he's a a replicant replicant man realising he's a human, you know. (laughs) Or hoping and thinking maybe he's a human and therefore getting on that kind of trip yeah. Only to then, you know, find out he's not. Yeah, it's devastating. I also love how while this is happening, like running parallel is basically Spike Jones's her like crammed into this yeah. movie as yeah, a mini I movie by too. itself. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Just and kind of a as a reflection on the Ryan Gosling character, the Joy character. Mm. I, I really enjoyed like the me, writing me and too. Mm. all of the 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 ethics and the the huge sci-fi ideas behind. So you did know, I. What is consciousness and and what is having a soul? What is being alive actually mm. mean? They were able to have all of those discussions without having those discussions. Yes. Yeah. Like none of it was like it, we weren't oh, told. You do have a soul, Joy. Because <laughs> no. I love you. It wasn't yeah. like that. It and was and it's, just... it's ambiguous in the right way. Like mm. as the audience, you you kind of don't know. A lot of people are discussing this online and saying some people say no, she she was just a really advanced AI yeah. who was reacting to what he and was that, saying. And they they kind of push that at the end when when Ryan Gosling spe- or looks at this massive projection, which mm-hmm. is obviously his girlfriend's a projection as well, mm. but this one's a massive one. But she's much more clear in her kind of direct sex appeal. So it kind of makes you think, geez, maybe... And it says, I can give you everything you want. Or something. Yeah. I'll tell you what you want. And so she kind of reflects his own little girlfriend. But that big that big figure is mm. the girlfriend, right? It is. It's the... Mm. I mean, it you know, it, so it's only because AI. she's a product. Exactly. Right. And you know that how every time his phone tings and the... Mm. Um, Peter and the Wolf. That's right. That's true. Do, yeah. do, 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 do. She says, oh, I see you're a customer. I hope you're satisfied with our product. You know. Yeah. Mm. Um, I didn't realize this until the third viewing. You know, well, I, I realized the first part of this, which is that they have this really, like the her moment where they have the kind of three-way sex scene but it's you know that, that kind of scene but it's very like very well done i thought it's very you kind of the the complicatedness of it is fully there with the, yeah. the two sets of hands and but then you also fully are invested in their relationship that it's really quite lovely and then the moment that it cuts from them having sex it cuts to a shot of the city with the shot of joy mm. and completely undercuts mm. everything that's just happened. Because it shows that she is just a mechanism She's just for, yeah. She's just for a your product. pleasure or whatever, product. Yeah. And, then, mean, and mm. then that scene at the end, when this is the part that, I, that hit me, I was like, he's, he's looking at this version of joy and she's all like pouty lips and she's, she's flirting with him and she's stark naked and she's got black eyes, I think. Mm. Mm. And um, she says, yeah, you were good, Joe. 
And it's that's the moment. That's the moment that his character realizes that what truly matters is this love between Harrison Ford and his daughter, or, or potential that relationship. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that because he's connecting it that, that with the miracle that he had with mm-hmm. Joy. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, in the one hand, you've got this very real scene between the two of them that's undercut by the product, yeah. and then at the end of that, you've got that that encounter with the product giving him that revelation mm. that's really nuanced and complex yeah. I mean, very impressive storytelling I think that's all the, that stuff is all I, we kind of already mentioned this but it's, that's the best part of the film for me is, is that relation I love that relationship and between, I guess that's between that's, Agent K and Joy yeah, yeah. And, and I guess that's the first kind of half of the film I fell interestingly enough I fell down more on the situation with the the child and Deckard. When he goes to see Deckard, it's like obviously a beautiful situation and it's beautiful design stuff. But there's 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 moments that lack tension in it. I found where, oh, yeah. for example, when um, I mean the fact that it's quite long and meandering doesn't help that. But um, <laughs> so he goes to see Deckard and. There's a fantastic kind of arty idea here where Elvis is projected on the screen oh, and it's so cool. very it's jarring. So cool. yeah. I and love the a, idea. It's a fight scene inside this environment. Yeah. yeah. And, and I love that. in the old film as well when they're yeah. fighting in the building. Mm. Carry on, carry on. And fa- that's all fantastic. Love the idea. But then the fight itself, I'm like, I just felt like it didn't have any tension probably because I knew that they are going to get together and kind of talk it out soon. And when it finishes, it's kind of just like, oh, okay. Maybe we should drink. go get a drink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just fair enough. Fair enough. So lacks tension there. And there was, but there was another that, But just to respond to that, isn't that part and parcel of it's not being a Marvel movie and it's being... Because it isn't about two superheroes. It's about one who's 30 years retired mm. um, and one who is an updated model who's, go- who's going to be stronger anyway. So it's mm. very un- unequal anyway. And mm. so isn't that part and parcel of what we respect about 2049, which is it's being a more intellectual sci-fi movie than an action movie? Partly, but then it's kind of like, why do you have the fights so, so centrally, like these kind of really classic, it- like, punching each other, like... <laughs> but isn't it because this is like um, learned behaviour? This is like oh. what I mean. This is what they both spent their whole lives doing, which is finding, um, well, being then, Blade Runners, well, then mm. and finding replicants and killing yeah. them. Which, in a way, is each of them because actually both of them are replicants. Wait, is they get a replicant? <gasps> well, when you read all the behind-the-scenes stuff, oh. people have, people have. <laughs> it's either way. It's yeah, either I, way. I think the, the, the new film actually it's still pretty vague. Like, it's, they did yeah. such a good yeah. job yeah. acknowledging it yeah. without giving Jared Leto's speech. Yes, but that's no. that's interesting. <laughs> if that is the case, then the the directors. Definitely trying to have his cake and eat it too, because he's making a comment on the on mm-hmm. the culture of needing a fight scene mm-hmm. at the same time that they're kind of um, but we're not needing, do this needing that fight scene yeah. for people that want it in their audience. So maybe that's where the real tension and the whether this film actually succeeds and why it's not doing so well at the at the uh, box office is because it kind of doesn't give people enough of the fight scenes that they want, but the people that are artsy about it kind of. Mm, yeah, I think, I think there's something to be said for that. Uh, what I will say as well, just back to what you're saying, I mean, Ryan Gosling, for most of the fight, he has taken the punches. You know, it's yeah, not really yeah. a fight. That's true. That's no, because he's, he's a stronger of, he's version a take, of it. He's like, I don't want to do this. Punch. Yeah. 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 Punch in the face. Okay, can I add two more things about the casino thing? Um, so first of all, just awesome world building. Um, yeah. Seeing... It reminded me so much of stuff like Children of Men mm. and other post-apocalyptic stuff where... 
you see how people lived and and what their lives had become in this horrible horrible future and then that's gone that's gone as well i mean mm. it's all deserted it's mm. ir- ir- irradiated wasteland mm. so cool very kubrick-esque and then well. also really really leaning heavily into nostalgia like all the music they're listening to is from you know 1950s yeah um and then of course linking on later where nostalgia literally is shot in the head oh my gosh so good oh yes um, where what who rachel uh with clone rachel oh yes yeah um and kind of undercutting this the sense of oh wasn't wasn't everything great and then the the harshness of a future where mm. no, it's not mm. but also um, that rachel right i haven't checked but that obviously she wasn't even a computer generated sean young i think because well, she looked different oh i think it was i think um, it was so it was it was sean young uh, providing the voice and then a body double with the CG young Sean Young. Oh, because the face uh, seemed Sean the young. face seemed ever so slightly different from um, than the original Sean Young Rachel. And I thought, mm. well, are they doing that on purpose? Or maybe it's one of these slightly subliminal things to tell you that this is a clone mm. of Rachel anyway, because this is not Rachel. Rachel brought back or mm-hmm. whatever. But no, she looked slightly different to me. Mm. But I, as I, I think, say, I, haven't... I think it, I think it is a mixture of. Original footage, CGI, mm. body doubles. I think Sean Young, Young actually, it was her hand in that scene as well. Oh, cool. Um, so that was actual Sean Young's voice, though? Yes. yes. Oh, right. Uh, she, um, she's credited in the... Which is interesting, because she denounced the film very publicly. Did she? Yeah, and told mm. people to boycott the film. What? Well, the new one? Yeah, because she wasn't involved. Right. So oh. maybe they got her involved last minute. <laughs> what I was going to say was, I think what oh. you're picking up on is that you can tell as a human that it's not a human. You know, I, yes. think it's, I think that's more. I don't think it's on purpose. I think it's just that CGI composite. But maybe it's that's a, kind of but maybe the, um, that's a beautiful part of it because the audiences are. I mean, as it, far as I know, we don't like have the, uh, any replicants in the, society. The, the horrible mm. CGI monstrosities in Rogue One, yeah. where it's like, Ugh. Yeah. yeah. No, but you know what I mean. Like, I mean, perhaps it's something. It's either an inadvertent production thing. They couldn't do it any better, but they're like, don't worry mm. about it because the audience doesn't need to mm. believe she's Rachel, mm. or it's actually on purpose because we are humans watching mm. it. And therefore, yes, you're right. We can tell if something is a little bit off. So could be lots of meanings. <laughs> I, I could be. I don't know by it. I'm giving too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> the, the second thing I want to add about the, the whole Vegas scene and Harrison Ford is it reminded me so much of Force Awakens. I mean, he's he's basically playing the old Han Solo character. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And what's up with Han Solo be, being kind of the, the distant father figure to 80s kids? Yeah. Like, yeah. They, play with the, they really play with those expectations because oh, you man. have... You have um, Han Solo and Force Awakens. You also have the um, Indiana Jones oh, remake course. with the father-son father, issues mm-hmm. there. And so they were playing with the fact that, for me as an audience member, I was expecting him to die. And I was expecting Ryan Gosling to be his kid. Yeah. And, and they fully yeah, subverted those expectations. They set them up for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, they really did subvert that. The beautiful thing is, Ryan Gosling was so convincing that I thought he was going to be his kid because Ryan Gosling thought he was going to be his kid as well. Do you know what I mean? Agent K believed and wanted to believe so much that I completely completely bought it and Mm. thought, I love this. And can I just say, Incendi is actually my favorite Denis Villeneuve film. Um, And it plays, and, and admittedly, that was um, based on a stage play written by somebody else, but then he wrote the screenplay for it. Now, I know that Villeneuve didn't have anything to do with the screenplay of Blade Runner, but I like the fact that the two films play 
very much around notions of who is my parent and who is my child and then overturns or really messes with expectations. Have you guys seen Incendie? I have not. Oh, I will lend it to all of you and I will spoiler it no further. But it is basically a quest to figure out who was my father, basically. Cool. Um, by, by two twins after their mother dies. And that's not spoilering at all. That is the, that's the thrust of it. But really fantastic um, similar sorts of themes, so perhaps we'll come back to a discussion on that once you've seen it. I love how, um, like, Agent K never asked the question um, because mm. the film would be cut much shorter if he did. If he just said to, to Deckard, you know, hey, I'm your son, and Deckard said, no, you're no, not. You're not. <laughs> yeah, that's and, he, true. and he refers to, he often says, the kid. Yeah. You yeah. know, this sort of gender neutral way. I'm like, very clever. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's clever. true. And I didn't pick up on that. So when it came back, the flashback to that, I taught them how to, or I taught her how mm-hmm. to tutu with the data and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Mm. I thought well, that's convenient. So in terms of um, gender politics, I, yeah. felt, I felt that, you know, watching, I was talking to my friend about it. Uh, when I went and saw it the other night, and um, yeah, so the, the, this is about the new film because I think the old film's a whole other bag of chips. But oh boy! The, the, the new film. I mean, there are seven. There are seven significant female characters. So in terms of representation, there's a there is a strong range of really interesting characters in this film who are female. Um, but at the, and, and they, do, they like we said, they, I feel like they do they do uh, they are working within that space of the sexual politics being relatively complicated. But it is still like I think you said. It's still a whole lot of naked women around. I didn't mm. like the... I, I, it, you say what you like about the bees in Las Vegas and how they weren't necessary, but it works nicely. I feel very strongly that the huge naked statues were completely unnecessary. Oh, I, I feel the opposite. I, I thought it gave you such a good, a good kind of glimpse into this world of... of Depravity. Yeah, and, and of just Objectification. Yeah, mm. of, of everything. I mean, everything that Vegas stood for. And now it's all gone, like Ozymandias. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I hear you and it works on that level. But then at the same time, if you're not inferring those ideas or themes, you're still seeing buxom booty, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and there's still a it's part of it makes it very tricky. You're right. They, but, like but, it's not but, but, necessary. There are other ways of I mean, I, I'm sure I could come up with a list of other ways that you can demonstrate a decrepit den of iniquity mm-hmm. um, and that there once was depravity, you know, and you'd, you'd um, think if they are really trying to reflect on the gender politics of the so-called past, then they would really focus on making sure their own politics in the film are squeaky clean so that they can't you know can't be um criticized as being hypocrites and there was male nudity in there as well but not in the same way when there was there was a few penises around there was there was bodies in las vegas not in las vegas but in the throughout the film oh yeah there was some there was some bodies lying on on in the morgue i mean it's not sexualized in any way no but i mean like what off for female viewers <laughs> yeah, or we'll yeah, give yeah. you a dead fat guy we'll give you a dead fat guy on a slab there you Cold go Peters for okay you. exactly <laughs> and now let's go to las vegas or let's see a hologram of a uh, woman but then will... that's not too sexualized is it either like big kind of the holograms but the holograms are but the big boobs of a of a concrete woman I don't know. They were pretty sexual. They're like arching their backs. Yeah, high heel shoes. Yeah. But all the archetypes. But is that meant to be getting guys going? Like, oh yeah. Well, no, or no. is it meant to be? It's a commentary. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely a commentary. But I, I do. I was thinking of you, Sarah, when I watched it one of the times. I just thought, um, 
you know, it is. It's still boobs and tits and... Yeah. Well, boobs and tits are the same thing, but... Yeah. <laughs> you said, Jeremy, that you thought that the sex scene in the 2049 film was was well done with the, the two females and, and Ryan Gosling's character and so on. And I've got to say, I thought, this is fascinating. It's intellectually very interesting, and it is completely... Um, it, it, it is not... There's not a frisson of excitement, emotional or sexual, whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would agree. With, I would yeah. agree with that. It so, was too complicated to be a scene. It was, yeah, there's too much going on. I think. Right. To be so for me, my brain was going, "Oh, that's interesting." So this, it also reminded me a bit of Ghost. Have you seen Ghost, where yeah. Whoopi Goldberg um, becomes mm. the Patrick Swayze character and so on? But. I was like, oh, this is very interesting, in a way that you, William, touched upon some of the technology in the 2049 film. And I love, I love seeing um, genuine sci-fi sort of advancements in technology. And I thought that Joy as a character was a fascinating conceit, uh, not even a conceit, fascinating type of advanced technology and whatnot. But the sex scene, uh, and I don't know, you're right, I don't know that I was supposed to feel, oh, there's love here or there's sex here, but it certainly didn't hit in that way. Well, let, let's talk about a sex scene in the original film. Oh, my gosh. Because that, for me, is the one thing, even, and I love that movie, but that's the one thing that makes me go, oh, every time. Just the way that he throws her around and he, he effectively, slams the door. He effectively and... rapes her. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, she kind of starts consenting, but in light of all the discussion that we're having at the moment about consent, it ain't. She says... It's, she very clearly is trying to leave. It's also pretty fascinating how in the new movie they kind of retcon it to, um, no, they, they, it was true love, you know, at yeah. first sight. Yeah. She, I mean, one has to be so careful, doesn't one? I, I mean, the first thing I would say is, but that is so 1980s. Mm. I mean, every movie had some kind of like... Um, some, the yeah, no, some kind of like buff guy, mm. you know, being a little bit rough, but in a even Indiana Jones, you know, in that sort of masculine, hyper masculine sort of way, and the woman being overcome with, oh, I can't resist you. Do you know what I mean? And in the mm. 80s, you didn't think, hold on, that looked a little bit non consensual or yeah. anything. Do you know mm. what I mean? So, as I reckon, it's very much with our 30 years on eyes that we look back at 1982, so, oh, hang on, 35 years. And go, Ugh, yeah, that sure, seems yeah. awkward because she does consent. She does soften. It, it, it's kind of composed as one of mm. those, um, I, I'm so cross with you, I'm leaving. No, you won't. Mm. But wait, but we're so inextricably. It's like in a history of violence where Maria, mm. um, what's her name? Mm. Bello. Maria Bello and Viggo Mortensen mm. end up having sex on the stairs. It's incredibly violent, incredibly angry to start with. And then, of course, it's this whole thing of, but we're so passionate for each other mm. that we can't resist and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I think it's more like that, the mm. 82 film. The original has both the question of consciousness and AI and genetics, but then the new one kind of adds this, a much bigger picture of this political kind of question of, like, um, can we bring the replicants up to the status of the humans? Mm. And I think... For me, that felt a little bit too uh, too much of a, a large scale thing to start kind of trying to delve into a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I agree. Mm. When we start, when we see the resistance mm. appear in this film, it's, it's Hunger kinda, Games. It just turns up, and it's kind of like we don't know where they came from. We didn't mm. know who they are. They don't have a strong story. Mm. And so, I think the smaller scale, personal style of the original is is mm. just a bit more r rotund and and tighter. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the great things about that film is it's. It's a small scale story, which it does have major significance in a bigger picture, but it's not trying to overstate that. I think. Mm. 
And I have I agree with you. The resistance aspect of the 2049 film didn't interest me at all. Mm. Um, whereas all I was interested in is this notion of this Pinocchio who's like, mm-hmm. am I a real boy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 what might that mean for me? And and therefore, are you my father? And that yeah. sort of the the personal story. Yeah. And I was so glad that we got to see. Um, Deckard meet his daughter at the end. I had a terrible feeling because you'll remember that Deckard and Agent K are on the steps in the snow mm-hmm. and then Deckard goes up into the um, the building and we stay with Ryan Gosling for quite some time and I thought, oh, are they going to do that clever thing where they're like, you don't need to see it. You know what's going on inside. And then they cut and he did, did come in and, and it didn't give us very much, but I'm glad that they did because mm-hmm. that um, connection and reunion and acknowledgement was very meaningful for me you know Mm. that's the aspect of the film that i thought was interesting and and it links with the original and that the original ended on a similar shot like that just a kind of strange shot of deckard and then cut to black you Mm. know not the the original ends with the the lift closing and Mm. by the original i mean the the final cut version and and i I thought the um the scenes of brian gosling in the snow with the snowflakes that was a really cool just visual connection to the tears in the rain and Mm. the 82 Totally. Well. well, I mean, it's it's Roy Batty, isn't it? Yeah. He, he is Roy Batty. Mm-hmm. He's dying, and he's yeah. realizing what matters most, and it's Deckard's and life. I mean, that's that's another great thing about the original: having this kind of antagonist who you can have so so much sympathy for in the mm-hmm. end point. And Rut, Rutger Hauer is awesome. I mm. love him. He's off the chain, yeah. Mm. <laughs> but in that in that context of the, the the old one, the original, it's so nice that. I mean, they just nailed that. We talked about before about it being personal film, and it really mm. is. It's this melodramatic. It's this beautiful film noir. Um, or, we haven't or, really or, talked about that, have we? No, future noir. Yeah, yeah. neo noir, and that and probably one of the early neo noirs, and still probably the best. They created. That, I mean, that, that whole that Blade Runner created that whole. Yeah. I was going to say it's groundbreaking, yeah, really, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing that twenty forty nine will never have, mm. and it can't help it. Mm. Is that we've always we've always had an original Blade Runner now. Yeah. Somebody's mm. done that. Mm. It, even like in, in terms of the special effects. Um, so the first time I saw Blade Runner was on a plane, which is not the right place. To <laughs> <laughs> uh, really small screen, crappy sound, and then seeing it much much later and just reveling in how awesome the special effects are mm, yeah. oh my gosh especially if you compare this to a previous cinema context film um, Fifth Element I mean in that film it looks very cartoony and everything is very composited mm. um, but I think Blade Runner looks like a movie that was made you know five years ago even. yeah, yeah, yeah. two sure. years ago yeah. like the it's not too it's dated so at all convincing no. how they use the, the matte paintings and miniatures it's mm. all, and it's all, um, there's no computer, there's before computers, so yeah. it's all in camera, and mm. yeah, it's just, it's downing. Mm. I studied this film in year 13, and I remember we all had to guess when the film came out. I mean, I knew, so I had to be quiet, but, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, my, my peers at the time were guessing, yeah, five years mm. previous, you know, but apart from the hairdos of some of the girls, mm. <laughs> yeah, really, true. it's only, um, uh, oh, it's the perms, the perms that come out, yeah. I think that's... I, I do love how in the new one, uh, Atari and Pan Am are still like big deals. And Sony, yeah. obviously, uh, oh, well, because yeah. they've released it. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, but it is. Yeah. It's nice that Atari yeah. is still a big deal, isn't it? That's really cute. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud or through Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or even on YouTube, which are also great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss or compare. 
Look out for our next episode in a month's time. And until then, ka kite anō.